0: Here we go, Campers, episode 72. Jimbo Stewart here, and as always here with the incredible, wonderful, beautiful Bob Bickford.
1: Man, nobody has ever called me beautiful before, but I'll take it. <laughs> I will take it. Thank you, Jimbo.
0: Absolutely, man. Uh, Bob and I were just talking about a beautiful bowl of grits that I got to have yesterday.
1: Jimbo, what is a grit?
0: What is it? Grit? It's uh, you know, it's a grit. It's uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not rice,
0: is it? Nope. It's like a corn thing, right? I don't know. I have no idea, but I love I are you do you like grits? Are you a grits guy? Oh yeah, I'll eat some grits.
1: Give me some hot sauce and I'll have some grits.
0: Hot sauce. That's the key, right? Yeah. So yesterday I had grits at a place called Maple Street Biscuit Company. Hey, boot campers, if you have a Maple Street Biscuit Company, let me know, because that started in Jacksonville. They did kind of uh, sell out to the man a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. They were bought by Cracker Barrel for a whopping $36 million. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Prior to that, they were on the Food Network for a great biscuit called the Squawking Goat. Did they have goat cheese on it? It does. It does. Oh, man. You're not a goat cheese guy? I'm out. I'm out. Oh, man, I'm not going to lie, I kind of love goat cheese. So it's a uh, fried chicken breast, goat cheese that has been like it's a medallion of it that's been pan fried, and then homemade or house made there, pepper jelly, just like pouring all over that wow. on a biscuit.
1: That is one big breakfast right there, I would imagine.
0: It is. It's, it's super filling. So yesterday, though, I was at Maple Street Biscuit Company and I was not quite that hungry. I was not hungry enough for the squawking goat. So I thought, you know, I like grits. Let's see how these guys do at grits. And I ordered the bluegrass country grit bowl, I believe is what they called it.
1: Was the bowl shaped like a mandolin or a banjo?
0: Nope. Nope, but there was bluegrass playing, the music was. I don't know if it's because I ordered the bowl they turned it on or what happened, but this grit bowl <laughs> had good bowl of grits on top of that, a fried egg okay. over medium so that the yolk comes out runny, a couple of pieces of thick-cut bacon on top of that, some shredded cheddar cheese sprinkled, and then some Louisiana hot sauce.
1: Man, I, I don't think I would need to eat lunch after that.
0: Bro, that was some breakfast. That was... <laughs>
1: That's good. I mean, we're starting to turn into Guy Fieri's diners, drive-ins, and dives here. <laughs>
0: I'm telling you, at some point, there's just going to be a break-off podcast where we just talk about food. I don't know that anyone would listen to it, <laughs> but we might do it. Who knows? We'd have fun. But here we are, episode 72, continuing the conversation about the irreducible minimums of ministry. We've been talking about the idea that With so much going on in the world and so many things pulling you so many different directions, it really can be overwhelming to think about all that has to be done. And so at that moment in life, it's always best to just think through what is necessary? What is it that I really need to do and really need to focus on? So we listed six irreducible minimums several episodes ago. You can go to that. Today, I want to talk about make Disciples, probably one of my favorite ones that we're going to talk about. The idea of making disciples,
1: yeah, because that is our mission, right? Make, yeah, and we say in replanting, uh, John John Mark Clifton, our illustrious leader, says that a replant, one of the key things to do is to make disciples, who make disciples, who make the community a noticeably
0: better place. Amen. I love. I really do love that definition. Yeah. As we talk about that, we've been working through the irreducible minimums through the filter or the lens of Air Force Leadership Model, PITO, P-I-T-O, Personal, Interpersonal, Team, Organizational. And so as, as we think through this personally, Bob, uh, what does it look like to you to be involved in discipleship personally, just you and yourself? Yeah,
1: well, you got to be a disciple in order to make a disciple, right? hey. hey. And one of the sayings is you will, you will never be able to take somebody to a place that you've never gone yourself. And so that means that you have to be a person who follows Jesus. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? And so there's this example that Paul, in his own life, and his own relationship with Jesus, was a follower of Jesus. So he could speak from authority of a, as a follower of Jesus, but he would also have another a word, he would have authenticity, mm. right? Not just a tour guide. He's actually a disciple of Jesus.
0: I think about the idea of discipling yourself, right? Through the the common means of grace, through spiritual disciplines. There's a book by Tim Keller called Prayer. And at the end of his book, towards the end of the book, he he gives an illustration that I I really think is important. I've heard somebody say it one way before, and I got what they were trying to say, and I really struggled with a better way to say it. And then I read Tim Keller, and it often happens when you read somebody as smart as Tim Keller, you go, oh, that's how you say it in a better way.
1: Nobody says things better than Keller. <laughs> right.
0: So a friend of mine had one time said, man, when you're really going through a spiritual dry dry valley, then man, you, you almost kind of have to fake it till you make it. And I really always struggled with that the way he worded that, I got what he was trying to say, but I thought there's got to be a better way to say that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Tim Keller does a really good job with this illustration of imagine that your soul is a boat. And on that boat, there's a sail and there are oars. And you are doing one of four things at all times with your soul in your boat, right? You are either sailing, you are rowing, you are drifting, or you are sinking when you're sailing, the sails are hoisted, the winds of the Holy Spirit are blowing and your sails are catching that wind and things are amazing. It's the mountaintop experiences. It's it's when you are just content in the Lord. You love reading his word. You love praying. You love interacting with the Lord and doing the spiritual disciplines. It's it's not a duty or a chore or an obligation. It is, it is what brings you joy. But then there are Seasons where we're not sailing, maybe our sail isn't up, or maybe the wind doesn't feel like it's blowing for us, and so we're rowing. And so we're still reading our Bible, we're still praying, we're still doing those things, but we're not as aware of God's presence in our life. We, we're not necessarily doubting Him or or, or anything like that. It just feels like I'm going to read my Bible this morning because I know that's what I'm supposed to do, right? And so you can, you do that in, in hopes that the Lord would, would breathe a new wind into your sails. But sometimes you'll get a little bit discouraged and you're no longer rowing and you'll start drifting, which feels very similar to rowing in the sense that maybe you're struggling to f- be aware of the presence of God in your life. You're struggling to feel the wind of His spirit, but you just quit doing the stuff, right? And so you kind of set the oars aside. You just drift. And what is dangerous when you're drifting is you can end up kind of shifting out of the shipping lanes and you end up isolated and out of where you're supposed to be catching the wind and in the stream. And if you're not careful, you'll start to become so self-focused that you will, instead of spending your energy rowing with the oars that God has given you of spiritual disciplines – you will spend your energy on self-indulgent numbing Mm -hmm. and you'll find yourself sinking. And so all of that to say, that was a very quick version of his illustration that he spells out in that book prayer. But the key part that I loved what he said is if you're rowing, just keep rowing and ask God to breathe a new wind into you. If you're drifting then pick up the oars Mm -hmm. and start rowing. If you're sinking, then you need some help and you need to bring somebody alongside you. So I say all of that to say, what does it look like personally to, to, to be a disciple? And and for me, that was very helpful to think through that of not all seasons are going to be sailing. And so when I'm not sailing, I need to be rowing and I need to be in the word. I need to be praying. I need to be worshiping with others. I need to be taking communion. I need to be doing those things and and asking God to, Bring a fresh wind.
1: Love that. That's uh, just sage advice. Don't don't neglect the disciplines. Right, you've got to engage in those. And one of the thing's I think for pastors is really hard is we're always preparing to teach and preach, and especially if you're a bi vocational pastor, you're doing so many different things, and it's not right or it's not healthy and helpful to substitute your preaching preparation for your own personal uh, devotional life. And, mm-hmm. and so just want to echo that. you um, many guys have heard that said before, I'm sure. but man, just get in the word, pray, and make sure that you're
0: connecting with the Lord. Okay, Bob. So then what does it look like interpersonally to uh, to be involved? I think this is, out of all the irreducible minimums, this is probably the easiest one to answer.
1: yeah, interpersonal in, in terms of just thinking through, how we're doing this with other people. And and we're talking to interpersonal Jimbo. Typically in our discussion of PITO has been a little bit smaller group. Who are your two or three folks that you're building into that you're helping in their walk with the Lord develop as a disciple? There's a pastor that's next door to me at Christ the King Church, a guy named Michael Peters. They call him Pastor Pete. And I was meeting with him before I became the lead pastor at Sherwood Baptist Church, which is now the Groves. And he said this, because here's my definition of a disciple. Uh, A disciple and discipleship is somebody who's just a little bit further down the road with Jesus than another person. And so they don't have to have all this like expansive Bible knowledge, a seminary degree, etc. It's just somebody who helps another person figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And they just have to be a little bit further down the road. So I'm sure in in all of our churches, there are folks who would uh, qualify under that definition. You know, we're a little bit further down the road than they are in their walk with Christ. And we simply are there to help them learn what it means to follow Jesus.
0: As a pastor, especially, you've got to make sure that you're always involved at some level with discipling. You need, you need to be discipling someone. It's 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 like a it's like a bare bare minimum. It's an irreducible minimum, right? What happens is we often get so busy with the mechanics of ministry, we don't have enough margin left to to do it. I heard an analogy in, there's a book that came out very recently called Future Church by Will Mancini and Corey Hartman, and he opens pretty close to the very beginning of the book with an analogy from a pastor he was talking to that said, you know, I I work real hard at our church, but I feel so often like I spend my 40 to whatever hours serving the church as Bruce Wayne. And then on my personal time, if there's leftover time, I get to be Batman and actually make disciples. And, but it's like I have, to, I have to just spend so much of my energy doing the mechanics of ministry that I, within, the, within the responsibilities of what the church expects of me, I don't actually get to make disciples. And so I have to find time like Batman on the side to do this. And I'm tired of being Bruce Wayne. I just want to yeah. be Batman, right? This is I, I feel called to make disciples, not to do all these other things.
1: Yeah, you got to flip the script on that that one, and that that's a thing where you always just have to have the perspective of uh, is is what I'm doing right now an administrative task that could be done functionally by anyone, or is it just me? And it just takes us back to the leveling the church episode with Micah Freeze. You know, we really. Kind of walked through that, so we'll we'll refer guys back to that one. But I think that there's the most joy that we have in our lives, probably as as replanters, is when we can actually sit down with somebody and walk them through what it means to follow Jesus, and and also in a particular area of their life or how to lead as a, a disciple maker. Th- those are the most enjoyable experiences I think that we have. Not the administration of ministry.
0: At The very least, make sure you're discipling somebody, right? I mean, when. When you feel like nothing you're doing is working, man, to me at least, there, nothing is nothing serves as more of a balm to my soul than getting to disciple somebody and see them grow in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple guys that I meet with weekly where we're going through God's Word together and working through things in discipleship, and I mean, it just it, it excites me to get to do that. So moving from personal to interpersonal to the team, Bob, what does it look like when we're leading a team, whether that be our elders, deacons, if we have any staff or any kind of other formal leadership in the church, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, how do we lead a team in making disciples?
1: There's a thin dotted line between this one and organizational for me, right? And so we're going to jump to organizational here next. But in terms of team, when when you mention the word elders, there there's something that's good that we do as an elder team is we, we'll read through books together or we'll discuss, you know, a particular doctrine or what, a particular practice of of being a disciple as a kind of a leader disciple or a lead disciple. So right now I'm, I'm working with three guys and helping them understand what it means to be a a proclaimer of God's word. Mm -hmm. And so as a team, we're looking at, you know, how do you, how do you read a passage? How do you outline a passage? How do you pray through it and think about how to communicate it to the congregation in connecting that with what the needs of our congregation and the focus and the current events that we find ourselves in. So, it's almost that's almost a more technical level of discipleship in terms of team. Because when I think of my team, I think of the elder team. How am I equipping them to do ministry, right? So, there's a foundational ministry, it was just being a follower of Jesus, a dad, a husband, a, you know, a church member, that sort of thing. But then there's the team or the team aspect of being a disciple. We're going to do ministry together. So, my mind tends to go to um, how do I equip them to do the ministry? that God's called us to as a church. And then in particular, the way that they fulfill that responsibility as a member of the team.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. I think um, you there is kind of a formal piece of that with, with your team as you're leading them. But I think also one of the things that hit me about a year and a half, two years ago is – we had talked a lot about discipleship and I was doing discipleship, but there were several of my elders that were not and engaged in that. And so we had some hard conversations about that and something I wish I would have done early on in the requirements of an elder, but I, I, we started to make it a, we put a time, gave them time to figure it out and, and, and I, you know, answered any questions to help equip them to do it. But I did eventually end up saying, Hey, We're going to set kind of a deadline that we're all going to agree to. But starting on that date, a requirement of being an elder is that you are an active disciple maker. If you've never done that before, I probably should have asked you. Like that should have, that's on me. I should, that should have been part of the the process. But let me equip you and teach you how to do that. I ended up discipling some of our elders on how to disciple and just said, hey, after this date, about a year and a half ago, if you're going to be an elder, part of the expectation is that you are an active disciple maker. And I made that shift with our, I say staff, not really paid, but like, you know, people who lead different areas in the church. I made that requirement for them too and said, I I want you to know that I would rather know that you've, I don't want you to drop any balls if you don't have to, but I would rather you drop a administrative task or ball than to get rid of making disciples. Ultimately, we've all just need to make disciples. And everything that we're doing needs to be either making a disciple or enabling someone else to make a disciple, right? And Or enabling someone else to grow in the Lord. You know, watching babies. You're not really discipling when you watch a baby, but you're freeing up mom and dad to either make disciples or to be discipled in some way. And so let's move from team to organizationally. What is it? look like to make disciples organizationally as for the church as a whole?
1: Yeah, you got to think systematically and strategically in this one, right? So a lot of churches will, you'll hear them talk about this. What is their discipleship pathway? And that means how do we take a person from, and this is a big thing that I I picked up from some of the missional community church folks. And I never thought about this before, but Jimbo, one of the things they challenged me on my thought was, is I always thought about evangelism. And when somebody comes to Christ, then discipleship begins. But they they said, let's expand our discipleship to think about this. We disciple people towards Jesus, and then we disciple people in Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And so they marry that task of discipleship of bringing the gospel to somebody is, in effect, the beginning point of discipleship, right? And so you are helping them come to faith and believe. And, you know, I think these days... It's more common than not for somebody to come to faith in Christ over a period of time rather than a point in time, right? So I grew up back in the day, you know, where we did big youth events and evangelism events. And, and so the, the, the mentality that I have is, you know, somebody's kind of a minus five, they, you know, but then all of a sudden they're convicted by the Holy Spirit and they come to Christ. And that does happen, right? But I, I just think that's I don't see that happening in our culture as much anymore. So you disciple people to Christ and in Christ, but so the end, so you got to have a strategy for that, right? And that means you have got to have an evangelistic strategy. How do I how do I share my faith with people who are not yet believers? The other thing too is I, I think establishing your discipleship pathway with clear, easy steps that communicate that people can remember. And so one of the things we talk about here at the Groves is we gather grow and disciple and go so there's this kind of this statement we say we gather for worship right we grow in christ in community together we disciple one another in the context of relationships and then we go into the world to proclaim the god to proclaim the gospel by demonstrating it and declaring it right so that gather grow disciple go is really our discipleship pathway and it and it all connects in a wheel right and so there's never a break in it and it just continues to go. So I think if you're, your church doesn't have to have a nifty little statement or, a, you know, a, that kind of thing, but it, you at least got to have a plan. And you've got to know where everybody in your church is on that plan at any point in time, I think, and then evaluate our, how are we doing in these particular areas. So when I think of discipleship organizationally, those are some of the things that I think. about.
0: That's such a great point that it has to be something you think through intentionally, strategically, because I think a lot of times in churches we assume if someone goes to Sunday school and they show up in the worship service, then they're being discipled.
1: <laughs> and not so. <laughs> it,
0: and that's it, that, that seems to be the model so, so many churches work off of, right? but but that's not that is not discipleship. Now, will they hopefully grow in the Lord and in their affection and understanding of God's word? in a biblical community by going to Sunday school and attending church? Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 a part of their spiritual transformation. But discipleship is an intentional process. And so we've got to think through that and having a discipleship pathway of some kind, a process of some kind. It doesn't have to be uber complicated. It just needs to be on purpose is all. Mm-hmm. And so I, w- I would say also encourage it through your preaching and teaching. Know that preaching is a part of discipleship. One of the things, and and one of the ways you can let preaching, I think, be maybe another piece to that. What we did is move to sermon-based small groups where, so it kind of brings a continuity to some things that shows them that this is something not just to be heard, but to be processed and internalized and applied in my life. And that helps do that. And so encourage it through your preaching and your teaching. Celebrate stories of discipleship. We we replicate what we celebrate. I don't know who said that first, but it rhymes and it. I like that. That's good. It makes sense, and I've heard it from several people before. But we, we replicate what we celebrate, and so celebrate things. Celebrate the stories. Tell the stories. Have people share their testimonies about it. We, we've got a guy in our church uh, at Redemption that I, I, I hammered hard on discipleship for a long, long time, and he had been there four and a half years, something like that. At that point, and he came to me. He's in his fifties, late fifties been in church his whole life. And he said, all right, pastor, I'm in church my whole life. And I don't think I ever heard the word discipleship until I came here. <laughs> and he said, I, and even when you first started talking about it, I thought I don't need that. I've been going to church my whole life. He said, but you wouldn't shut up about it. And now I'm really thinking it's something I need to do. Would you be willing to disciple me? And so for like nine months, I mean, i we met weekly and, and worked through a process that, equipped him to be able to do that with others. And, and at the end of it, he said, man, everybody ought to do this. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I've been saying this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It,
1: I just, you know, something you you talked about is a process. The process doesn't have to be complicated. It can be really simple. I, I grew up, and I don't know if you remember these, Jimbo, these are probably well, well out before you, but there was a, um, there was an organization called Student Discipleship Ministries. And they gave you all these little books that you could work through. And they were all like fill in the blank. And so discipleship was kind of meet with the guys, study, study this lesson on your own, read the scriptures, fill in the blank. And then he had the answers. And then when you got there, he checked your answers against what you had. Right. And so I, I discipled a lot of kids that way in student ministry. It was, you know, there's some good things, but it seemed like we were, when we did a system like that, it was always just fill in the blanks. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. It, it limited discussion because us type a folks, if we don't get all the blanks filled in, we feel like you're cheating us. <laughs> right? yep. so, so I discipled a different guy. Uh, another guy who was in my adult years, got him Darren. Darren was an HVAC guy. I think he might've went to community college. He was a good guy and, and came to the Lord. And I just said, Hey, don't you come by every after every Thursday afternoon, about two 30, and we'll just, We'll sit down. And so our discipleship was, let's talk about your life. Let's open up the scriptures. Let's read the Bible together. And let's talk about whatever's happening in your life. We're going to find a passage of scripture that deals with that. And then we're going to have a conversation about it. Right. And we're going to look at some. So we just did that. And there's some guys that that's how they do discipleship. Right. And, and I think, for Darren, it it was, and for me, it was really helpful and effective. And I'm saying this in terms of the context of organizational discipleship. Any any Christian who's been walking with Christ for a while, most I would say, any is a big statement, but, but most could if they have some grasp with the scriptures, a foundational grasp of the scriptures, they don't have to go through a 10-week series on this or that. They can just sit down with somebody and open up the word and read it and talk about it. Right, and something as simple as that is could be your bread and butter discipleship strategy. But I think what we're saying here in this point is your church needs a plan and get a plan and, and work plan.
0: What are some resources you would point somebody to that's wanting to learn more about that and think of, think through what a plan might look like?
1: Just in terms of like an organizational plan,
0: yeah, or or even just a a personal discipleship plan of how to disciple somebody.
1: You know, there's some good ones that we have listed out and we'll have listed out in our show notes. No Silver Bullets by Daniel M. I think you've you've read that book, right?
0: That one is probably my favorite on the organizational level, as far as what does it look like to align your organization in such a way that you create a culture of discipleship?
1: You know, R. Kent Hughes is, R. Kent Hughes has a book called uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a real foundational book for just dudes. And so I meet with guys, and and uh, that's one of the basic books that we'll just go through, and, and I think that's really really good. In terms of leaders, um, one of the books that we've talked about, like a team discipleship one, is Trellis and the, the Trellis and the Vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the elders, we look through that, uh, so I, I think that's a that's a really good one that I would I would go to.
0: That's another good organizational one, Neil. As far as just uh, relationally, interpersonally. Uh, Neil Coles, Cultivating a Life for God is a very simple scripture-based approach that I like. Robbie Gowdy's Growing Up is, is a good reproducible process. I think Robbie Gowdy's Growing Up is a good one. So I used that with with some guys that, some of my elders that had never discipled anybody and felt very overwhelmed by that idea. Mm-hmm. Robbie's, Robbie Gowdy's really gives you kind of step-by-step. Step. There's, there's not a whole lot you have to think through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it tells you what to do. Uh, every step of the way. And so that's a good one. I, Gospel-Centered Life by Robert Thune. I I, I love mm-hmm. that. that is yeah. a kind of like a study to go through with someone yeah. in, in discipleship. But I, we, we've we kind of hit our time. But man, what a great discussion. You will hear us talking about discipleship more as, as the podcast grows. But what we would really love to do on the other side of this six irreducible minimums is we'd love to talk with you. We would love to know what questions you have boot campers, what are you thinking about, what are you struggling through, what stories do you have that we could celebrate that or what have lessons that you've learned that you would love to share with others here on the podcast. Reach out to us through the website, let us know, we'd love to have you on here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and